0: Let's stand together. And as was said on the video, this is our sixth installment of relationships. And this morning we're going to focus on a very, very familiar passage, and I've entitled this, "Dad's Greatest Gifts for Obvious Reasons." And uh, it's coming to you us from Deuteronomy chapter six, verses five and seven. And you're going to recognize these words because uh, with all the babies that we've had, this is one of the texts that we use. Um, in the baby dedication ceremony. So this is what it says. I am reading. I am reading the yellow, and you're reading the white. And there are just two verses today. Just two. Ta- uh, just two frames is what it says. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Beautiful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love that you have exhibited so vividly in through and as Jesus Christ. And thank you that we get to call you, Father. And Jesus, our brother and Lord, and the Holy Spirit, our comforter and our guide and our helper. And we thank you that we also are the sons and daughters of God. And together as family, we are, the, we are brothers and sisters. And we thank you as well that you have built a kingdom in such a way that we are invited, that we get to be a part of, but not in our own might, not just in our own gifts and talents, but through the empowerment of the Spirit and so we ask for the Holy Spirit's help today to speak, to hear, to understand, to comprehend, and particularly as we go out into our worlds, wherever that is today and this week, to, to live out what it means to be authentic Christ followers. And this we pray in Jesus' name and for his name's sake, amen. You may be seated. So, dad's greatest gifts. Now, being prepared and being ready for something are not the same things. There are many things in life that we can prepare for, but at the same time, we're never really quite ready. One of those, of course, is marriage. Right? And everybody said, and another, and and the other one, I think, is being parent. Now, both are very rewarding relationships and experiences and and very challenging. There's, um, I really like um, Indiana Jones movies. See, somebody else does too. Um, and I really like the one called the Raiders of the Lost Ark. How many of you have ever seen it? Oh, excellent. You're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, in, in one of the scenes, the Nazis have taken the Ark of the Covenant and they're going to fly it back to Germany. And Salah, who was a friend of Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, they're on this embankment where the plane is getting ready to take off with the Ark. And Salah says to, to Harrison Ford, he says, What are you going to do? And Indiana Jones says Harrison Ford responds and says I don't know I'm making it up as I go along and I thought what a great motto for life and then I thought what a great motto for marriage and then what a great motto for being a parent because most of life and most of life's relationships are fluid and dynamic They're very seldom ever static, and so we have to respond with a measure of flexibility. Being a spouse and being a parent is serendipitous. A lot of what happens in marriage and in parenting is unanticipated, it's unexpected, and it's unforeseen. And because of that, it's a journey of both discovery and opportunity. And because of that, we can either respond in one of two ways. We can respond to this serendipitous relationship, this relationship where we can, you know, we can prepare for, it, but we're really never ready for it. We can either respond with fear or we can respond with excitement but relationships were never intended to be dull or boring whether it's parenting or whether it's being a a being a spouse it's intended to be an adventure now barbara taylor brown or barbara brown taylor said this You can't go with God and stay where you are. And that's true. But I like this as well from Thomas Merton. I love this prayer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. Now that should get our attention just there. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I, may not, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death? I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you never leave me to face my perils alone." all of our life is about relationships, and dad's greatest gifts are his relationships. And there's three of those relationships that I want us to focus on very quickly this morning. The first one is this, a man's relationship with his father. That first and foremost, a man's relationship with his heavenly father is the most important relationship that any male can have. It's also true for females. I could probably talk about our relationships with our biological fathers, but some of those relationships are problematic. All of them are complex. Some of them are painful, and some of them are joyful. And some of us in the room, we have had joyful relationships with our fathers and are enjoying joyful relationships with our fathers. But even the joyful relationships between fathers and sons and fathers and daughters is still very complex. And some of us have memories of those relationships that are not so pleasant, and so they're problematic. And our experiences with our fathers and as fathers, and ladies, you can do the math and the conversion, sorry, are as varied as we are in this room. That every father-child relationship, every father-child relationship, every father-child relationship is unique. And some of us think of our father-children's relationships as better or worse than they actually are or were. Maybe we feel that we could not or cannot actually please our earthly fathers. But the good news is that we can please our heavenly father. Now, one of the most important texts, one of the greatest texts in the New Testament is a text in Matthew where Jesus is at his baptism. He comes up out of the water, the dove settles on his shoulder, and the voice from heaven, God's voice from heaven, the voice of the Father speaks and says these words, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Stop there. Stop right there. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Hold it. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't healed anybody, hasn't preached any sermons, he hasn't fed anybody, he hasn't done anything at all. All that Jesus has done is that he's grown up as a child, as a teenager, and as a young adult, and the Father in heaven says to him and speaks over him, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now imagine us, ourselves, And we hear a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Well, we don't have to imagine it. Because this is exactly what God says over us. Now, I want you to pause and let that soak in. I want you to say in your brain now, God says over me, this is my beloved son or daughter that he's pleased with. I love something that Joseph Schmidt said, God our Father is not a harsh critic or a demanding judge, but a loving parent and a healing doctor. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, God does not love us on the basis of performance. That if we please him, if I please him, if you please him, he will love you more. And if you do not please him, he will love you less. God doesn't love us On the category of performance that's part of the mystery of God's love for us now what we're talking about here of course when we talk about a man's relationship with his Heavenly Father what we're really talking about here is God's offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ which translates into this statement that I am forgiven i am forgiven by god that's the category on which god determines his love for me and for you for us i am forgiven now i want you not out loud just under your breath to yourself say these words i am Say it again, under your breath. Now say it out loud. Say it again. At least two things come into focus here. The first one is this, that there are many men and women in two, but women, I'm not going to keep saying that, you just do the translation. There are many men who find it difficult to accept God's forgiveness. There are many men who find it difficult to accept God's forgiveness. And because of that, they find it difficult to forgive themselves, to forgive ourselves. And further, not only do they find it difficult to accept God's forgiveness and forgive ourselves, we have a hard time and we find it difficult to live out of God's forgiveness or to live in God's forgiveness. The second thing that comes into focus here about that I am forgiven is that for many men, Christianity does not feel or look exciting or inspiring. And I certainly can appreciate that. Because, and I'm not trying to be cute or funny or humorous here, because I find that too many Christians look like and act like and sound like they've had life sucked out of them rather than life put into them. And the obvious verse, of course, is John 10.10. 10. And that verse says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, that's a bit of a surprise because too many men feel the exact opposite. And one of the reasons for that is that Christianity, for many men, it feels more like a rule book of what not to do rather than a relationship with a loving father who says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. For many of us, for many of us, hear me now, we're still trying to measure up Many of us are still trying to work to accept and to um, be able to receive God's love. And we've got to stop doing that. We have to stop doing that. But forgiveness is an act of God's grace. It's an act of God's grace. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. It's just an act of God's grace. But what comes out of that act of God's grace is this, that we forgive others as an extension of the grace and love that our Father has shown to us. And nowhere is that more evident than in the other two greatest gifts that dads have. The first one, of course, is a man's relationship with his wife. Now marriage, as I said, is one of those relational journeys that we can prepare for, but we're never really quite ready for it. And marriage is a serendipitous relationship, just like parenting, a relationship that is fluid, that is dynamic, that is not static. And then Proverbs says these words, he who finds a wife, finds a good thing. I wish they wouldn't use the word thing for wife, but that's a whole other thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And when we begin to think about this text, this Proverbs text, we realize that marriage, marriage is a gift from God. It's a gift. It's intended to be a gift that is serendipitous. It is a gift that is intended to be filled with the unexpected and the unanticipated. It is a gift that is intended to be full of surprises. Marriage is never easy, but it should never be dull. (laughs) You know what I think what makes marriage interesting and exciting and in serendipitous, is that you just never really know what's coming around the corner. Right? And we got a choice. We can greet that with frustration, or we can uh, greet that with, with fear, or we can greet that with excitement and anticipation. The third relationship is a man's relationship with his children. Now, we all know this text, right? You've heard it a billion times if you've been in church three weeks. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, if anybody understands what that text is about, could you please tell me? Now, I had to look it up. I had to look it up. And dictionary.com says, well, first of all, what I discovered, and, of course, we all know this is pretty evident in the text, that it is an Archer metaphor. But I had to look up what a quiver is or was. And a quiver, according to dictionary.com, is a case for holding and carrying arrows. And then it says this, the arrows in such a case. Now, but here's the real question. So how full is a quiver full? Anybody got any ideas? Okay, somebody says five. Anybody else? Seven. Anybody else? How many? Twelve. Twelve. You need to get cable. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anybody else? It depends on the size of the quiver. What? It depends on the size of the quiver. Okay, that's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. So anyway, most people say, by the way, interesting, most people say five. But I did some research. I did some research. And this is what I found out. That some archers carry two or three arrows, and some as many as 15. Good Lord, help that person. But that's a quiverful. A quiverful is whatever you want it to be and whatever the size of the quiver is, I guess. I don't know. But it brings us to this, parenting, parenthood. And here's the point that children are a gift from God, but sometimes we either look at them as blessings or intruders. Scott's not here. Hopefully Sarah's not watching online, and Josh is at his own church. I've sort of felt like that from time to time in my life. Sometimes, they're a blessing from God. At other times, they felt like intruders. Right? If you ever tell them, I'll deny it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Howard Hendricks says this. Here's the whole point. Our children are not our prized possessions to do with what we want, but are simply passing through our lives Onto theirs. Let me read it again. Our children are not our prized possession to do with what we want, but are simply passing through our lives on to theirs. That children, my children, your children, our children do not belong to us. They belong to God, and they belong to themselves, and they are only lent to us. And you know what baffles me? This is what baffles me. The amount of parents who I see who are trying to live out their lost dreams and their desires vicariously through their children. It's unbelievable. But as Zendrick says, our job is to help our children pass through our lives on the way to theirs. Our job, in other words, is to prepare our children to be mature, well-adjusted, responsible, independent adults who are able to make wise choices and decisions. There's an interesting example in the New Testament. We don't pay much attention to it, but it's the example of Jesus' development and in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in statue and in favor with God and with man. And we want to help our children develop in the same four areas. We want them to develop mentally, spiritually, physically, and socially. And if we shortchange them on any of these things, we will not prepare them adequately for life so that they can become well-adjusted, responsible, independent adults who make wise choices and decisions. And I think this is one of the reasons, just one of the reasons, why the New Testament says this not once, but it says it twice. And we have learned a long time ago that when the Bible repeats itself, there is a significant reason for what is being said there. Fathers, do not provoke your children, but lest they become discouraged. By the way, just for free going along, you ever noticed that in the New Testament, the responsibility for children falls first on the dads? Sorry, guys. Sorry about that. But I didn't write the New Testament, so just got to deliver it the way it is. But this is our text. Our text is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. Now, remember what I just said a moment ago. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 7 is repeated in three of the four Gospels. Jesus is recorded as repeating the exact words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. That means that what's being said here is significant. And here's some of the reasons why. That loving has little to do with feelings and a lot to do with faith. You follow that? Loving has little also to do with liking and a lot to do with respecting, deciding, and acting. Loving is about detachment from feelings and preferences associated with self-centeredness. And the opposite of that is this loving ourselves and selfishness are two very different things now i'll pause and let that soak in loving ourselves and selfishness are two very different things someone said that love of god and love of spouse And children and I might add ourselves are not two different loves are not two different loves that loving self and loving others and loving God are really one act of love and Moses and Jesus tells us this that we are to love God in three ways first with all that we are the love the Lord your God with all your heart mind and soul and strength We are to love God, secondly, by getting into His Word first, and then finally, we are to love God by saying it and showing it. Now let me back up to number two just for a second. By loving God with all of our lives, and the text says in verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be in your heart, not in your heads, on your hearts. Why on our hearts? Because And this is where I think some of the relationship reality of Christianity breaks down. A lot of us approach Christianity from our heads because we're from the West. And it's an intellectual exercise. And that's why I believe there's a lot of inconsistency and incongruency between what we say and what we live. And that's why the Bible says, get it in your hearts, not in your heads, because it's not going to do anything there. When we get it in our hearts, then we love in life. When it's on our hearts, when it's in our hearts, it materializes into actions. It's lived out not only with what we say, but in, in actual fact, how we show it, how we demonstrate it. And you've heard the old line that our walk must match the talk. When we say it and then show it, when it's in our hearts and it materializes into our actions, for example, the Bible says that I am to love Ruth as Christ loved the church. Once I get that in my heart, I actually do that. I actually do that. And so what is being we're told here is that we need to give our children whether they are young or whether they're adults because the parenting process never stops when we do that we give them a model to emulate on many different levels so when we attempt when we work at when we love the lord your god the way that deuteronomy says and the way that uh, jesus says then we will do a number of things our kids will see a number of things first of all they will see a congruency between life and faith life and faith They will also learn respect for the opposite sex. Now, I don't need to tell you this, and I know that with Sarah it's a unique situation, but Sarah will know how she is to be treated by men by how I respond to her mother. Scott and Josh will learn how they should treat their their spouse and their fiancé. They will learn that by how I treat and respond to and react to their mother. IT'S NOT ROCKET SCIENCE. NOT ONLY THAT, BUT THEY WILL LEARN SAFETY AND SECURITY. BY THE WAY, JUST FOR GOING ALONG, ONE OF THE GREATEST CONCERNS THAT YOUNG TEENS HAVE, ONE OF THE GREATEST FEARS, IS THAT MOM AND DAD ARE GOING TO BREAK UP. AND THEN THE LAST THING THEY'LL HAVE IS THIS, THEY'LL GAIN CONFIDENCE AND HOPE that life is a tension, we've said this, between joy and sorrow. But in that tension, there is hope, hope. Fatherhood is an awesome concept, just like motherhood. But there's nothing abstract about being a dad. And fathers and mothers, I want you to hear this. No child emerges from childhood without wounds. We weren't exempt, and they aren't exempt. No child emerges from childhood without wounds. Get that in your heads. In our heads they are raised with by broken parents in a fallen world where folks most of us are trying to do the best that we can but it's not perfect and it's never perfect mitch album in the five people you meet in heaven said this all parents damage their children It cannot be helped. Youth, like pristine glass, absorbs the prints of its handlers. Some parents smudge, others crack, and a few shatter childhoods completely into jagged little pieces beyond repair. I'm not talking about the last part. I'm talking about the smudging and the cracks. But there's two things we need to keep in mind as being imperfect parents and imperfect dads and fathers is this, first of all, that our children are naturally and spiritually resilient. If we say the magic word, I'm sorry, they'll respond accordingly. If we say the statement, I'm sorry, will you forgive me, they will respond accordingly. The second thing is this, that God's promise of help, wisdom, and strength for both parent, spouse, children are ever-present in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Though our culture is an immoral freefall, God has given children something, sorry, God has given children someone whose power and influence is greater than all the influences of society put together. No person can have greater influence. No person, more than any other, can make a difference in a young person's life like his or her father. Fathers are important. And I learned a long time ago that you never lose your place in your family. Whether you're a sibling and you're estranged, your place is still there. Or whether you're a father and your son or daughter has multiple healthy relationships with other men, you never lose your place as a father. And the same is true as a mother. So at the end of the day, on Father's Day... Fathers are important. But men, hear the words of your heavenly Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God's smile of approval rests upon us. Let me pray for you, let's stand. Father, I thank you that you do love us, that your love is steadfast, unfailing. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Jeremiah wrote. And Lord, I pray today for dads. Most of us understand the position that we have in our children's lives. And, Lord, we understand as well that it is serendipitous, that it is we are making it up as we go along. It comes to us unexpected, unforeseen, unanticipated. But with the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the help of the Holy Spirit, you're going to give us grace. Challenge us to rise to the occasion, and we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.